I do love a good stat. Hello and welcome to Real Versus Feel, Netball Numbers That Matter, a podcast with me, freelance journalist Erin Dullahunty and Dr. Aaron Fox, a lecturer in applied sports science and research methods at Deakin University. In this show, we align what it feels like happened in round five of Super Netball over the weekend to what the stats, the real, tell us. Of course, we wouldn't be here without our major sponsor, All In One Property, If you've purchased property before, you know it involves tons of paperwork and stress. You've got to sort out conveyancing, finance and insurance, and that's if it's a simple deal. All-in-one property can handle every step or just one. Visit allinoneprop.com to learn more. I'd like to acknowledge I'm on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people in Echuca, and Aaron is on Woodjuck Noongar land in Perth, Western Australia. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Well, we're recording at a bit of a different time of day for us normally, Aaron, as you're having a little break in Western Australia. Am I right? Yes. Different time zones have thrown us out a little bit. I'm not in my cushy soundproof recording booth at Deakin anymore. I'm at a random caravan park (laughs) in Western Australia, but a great time to be over here, uh, in particular from a netball perspective, because I am lucky enough to be going to that top of the table clash between the Fever and Thunderbirds this weekend. Well, you've timed it absolutely perfectly. I just hope that you packed your stats hat because that's the most important thing we need. Now, before we look ahead, you just mentioned about that game that you'll be going to. Let's look back for a second at the round that was. Now, we had a few pretty close games. And when I say close, probably compared to what a few of us had have predicted. I'm going to start with the Giants-Collingwood clash, where the Giants won 59 to 54 at Ken Rosewell Arena. The Giants got another win on the board. Um, they look they looked in control at half time and perhaps we thought they might run away with it knowing how much they can score how quickly they can score with the super shot but Collingwood did make their way back in in the second half but as they're making a bit of a habit I feel they fell short again um for me and anyone with eyes that was watching Jamie Lee Price was absolutely massive for the Giants in the center she's made a real statement about wanting obviously to go to the World Cup this later this year she had 113 Nissan net points, nearly half a dozen gains, 20 goal assists as well. And on the flip side, Jodie Ann Ward, who we've seen some spectacular games from, the Collingwood defender, she was really heavily penalised in this game. She had 14 contacts and an obstruction. And I had a really quick look at, at her numbers, and it's sort of either feast or famine with Jodie Ann, it feels like. You know, she went from seven in round one to 17 in round two, and, you know, really good game against the Firebirds. So, Uh, she's one to keep an eye on I think and also Sophie Garbin in this game had eight turnovers which was most of anyone this round and she only shot at 60% accuracy too so now you are going to have a look at the Thunderbirds Vixens game for me Aaron yep this was a painful one to watch as a Vixens fan to be honest and like almost a little bit like what people probably feel like when they're watching their own team against the Vixens where there was just like no way for them to get back into the game. They were just held off. And yeah, that was really heavily to do with that defensive end of Shamira Sterling and Latanya Wilson, both having a round high eight deflections each and Sterling having the most gains in the round at eight. And Matilda Garrett kind of popped up as a, a key player back there as well. You know, talk a lot about Wilson and Sterling, but 
But she was heavily penalised, the most of any player in the round with 23, but also had four gains, mm. um, two intercepts of her own in there and three deflections. Uh, and then you look on the other side, the key players from the Vixens, they really sort of didn't bring their A games, uh, partly maybe because what the Thunderbirds were doing, but also maybe having an off night. We'll talk about Liz Watson later, where she had six turnovers, 14 penalties and only 16 goal assists, which is very low for her. Um, and... You know, the gains, it's a stat we talk about a lot, and it was huge in this game, 19 gains to the Thunderbirds and the Vixens only having nine. Aha, uh-huh. um, that number. Yeah, less than 10 mm-hmm. equals a Vixens loss, loss, right? And, like, last week we talked about how gains and gain-to-goal percentage can be a double-edged sword, right? The Vixens mm-hmm. had a low number of gains to what they are used to and only converted 22% of them to scoring which is not going to help you win a game, whereas the Thunderbirds had heaps and had 79% converting to Mm. goals. So Mm. really, like, the Thunderbirds, to me, played like the Vixens have played in the last couple of years, so it's a really good sign for them. Yep. Um, And now, Erin, I'll pass back to you for what's probably the strangest result of the weekend, a two-goal win to the Fever over the Thunderbirds. Yeah, I don't think either of us would have suggested that you would have said that about this game. For there only be to be two goals in it at the end was certainly a lot tighter than what most people expected. I mean, the Fever, again, a little bit like the Giants game, looked like they had things under control. They're up by 13. But in the third quarter, I think Fever coach Dan Ryan tried to run a few train- live training drills, you know, try a few different combinations and it let the Firebirds get back into the game. I'm sure Beck Bully would have been really pleased with the fact that her side was able to win those those quarters towards the end. We saw Donnell Wallum with seven from ten super shots, so that certainly helped them claw their way back in. Um, and I think you were, when we were talking about it, a lot of the stats that we saw from the first to the second half were sort of flipped on their head in this one. Um, a big one, though, was the gains, eight for the Firebirds, and then ten came in the second half. So the last game of the round, was Lightning Swifts, Aaron. Yeah, and this was a really statistically even matchup, right? And, I mean, that's reflected in the scoreboard and how the game finished so close with a one-goal win to the Swifts. Like, looking across the board at the team statistics, there wasn't a huge disparity in what they were doing. Um, and so it was hard to kind of pick out where this match was won. Um the Lightning, you know, they had this 100% gain-to-goal ratio, right? They converted all of their gains to goals, but they only had six. So it wasn't a huge, as, as big an impact as you could possibly have with that. Um, Annie Miller was pretty busy this yeah. round, 43 feeds, more than anyone else. Um, and, you know, we've talked a lot about team net points in recent um, rounds and how often there's a big disparity in winners versus losers. But mm. the Lightning actually actually finished with more than the Swiss in this one and still lost. Um, and probably like the most interesting stat I picked out of this one was maybe how clean it felt watching from an attacking perspective where there was only 15 possession changes by each team. And mm-hmm. it's really rare to see a game where both teams have less than 20 possession changes. There's usually a bit more flipping back and forth with the position, uh, possession. And yeah. so, you know, it, it might have felt like a really clean attacking game and close. You know, the statistics here, the real is matching the feel, I think. Mm. Well, our first deep dive for today, I have entitled What Happened 
to Watson and then you alluded to it off the top. So one of the biggest talking points out of this round has to be how the Thunderbirds and specifically Latanya Wilson, but the whole defensive line shut down one of the best players on the planet in Liz Watson. I mean, this is a classic real versus feel for me, I think, because watching, you're thinking to yourself, especially as the game wore on, Watson's had a shocker here. She's turning the ball over where she normally doesn't. She's giving away some strange looking penalties that even appeared to sort of perplex her. And I mean, we saw some pretty uncharacteristic, you know, sort of demonstrative body language from her as well. But when you look at the pure stats out of this game, it wasn't horrendous. She still had the most net points of anyone in the team. But as we touched on earlier, she did have six turnovers but someone who handles the ball as much as a wing attack or a center does often have turnovers right they can be forced through somebody else's error perhaps on a center pass she had 13 penalties which felt like a lot I'm not sure if it was and Kira Austin who's obviously an attacker she's the only one that had more penalties so I guess that's a really long-winded way of me saying did she have a bad game Aaron how does that Thunderbirds game compared to previous bad games in sort of inverted commas, if there is such a thing for Liz Watson. Yeah, you make a good point at the end there that we have to look at this relative to mm-hmm. standard performance, right? Because we said earlier, like 16 goal assists, right? A lot of players might be happy with that. Mm. Not great for Liz Watson relative mm-hmm. to um, other matches she plays in. And, and we'll talk about that in a sec. We, we can start with the turnovers, right? So yep. six. Six general play turnovers, but I've, I've kind of looked at this match relative to the last few years of, of Liz Watson's play. Mm-hmm. And six general play turnovers, that's her equal third worst for this statistic. She's had a couple of games where they've been nine and then five games at seven. Okay. But so so there's there's few not outliers. that many games. Mm. Yeah, not that many games where she's had more turnovers than this one. The eight contact penalties also equals her third highest in an SSN game over the last few years. So yeah, those penalties and turnovers are, are right up there when it comes to her other performances. Right, so the, the feel was right. What about her feeding then? Yeah, and this is like the really key one where you need to look relative to um, what she normally does. What she normally does, right. So she had 30 feeds into the circle, which sounds great, right? Mm-hmm. Like 30 feeds, but that's actually her third lowest total over that last few years of matches. Mm. And that sort of feeds down into the 16 goal assist, which is a, actually a second lowest over the last few years. And you mentioned the net points there, like 51 and a half, despite being the highest for the Vixens in this game, that's actually her seventh lowest net points over the last few years. So you'll have noticed like none of those were the worst mm-hmm. statistical games she's had in recent times. Mm-hmm. But when these are the key stats that Liz Watson excels in. And when you put all of these sort of not great ones into a single game, like all these low totals across the same game, it really indicates that it wasn't one she'll probably want to remember, right? Yeah. So it was the, you're telling me it was the cumulative effect of all of those things happening that left me fi- and Vixen's fans feeling that she'd well and truly lowered her colours. Yeah, absolutely right. Like, that, you know, the games where she's maybe had seven or nine turnovers probably were supplemented by 20-plus goal assists, right? Mm-hmm. So when you get all the turnovers plus you don't get the goal assists, it's just 
not a not a great one. Mm. Now, going from you know a, a poor performance to one of the best, the next subject I want to talk to you about is something I'm going to call sparkling Shamira. So if you take a quick look across the official stats and the rankings that we see on the Super Netball website, there's one name, I mean, if I'm perfectly honest, probably two that you can't miss. Uh, They're both Jamaicans. One is Janiel Fowler, who we've talked about a lot already this season. And the second is Shamira Sterling. And it's it's her that I want to take a closer look at. So as we approach the halfway mark of the season, it certainly feels like Shamira is having her best ever Super Netball season. She's number one for cumulative uh, net points. She's on top for deflections and for defensive rebounds. I think she's sitting fourth for intercepts, but has been higher up earlier in the season. And we also know that she's affected so many blocks already. We saw a couple of them against the Vixens. So looking back across her years in Super Netball, Aaron, is she having as good a year as it, it feels like? And I'd love to know if we could extrapolate out her form, her form line, what is her year going to look like at the end of the season? Now, I want you to strap yourself in, Aaron, because <laughs> we're going to talk about how good a goalkeeper I'm is. I'm going to get and excited. I, I honestly don't know how you're going to contain your excitement over this because there's some pretty great numbers here. You talked about blocks, right? Yep. And we've actually been chatting about this. It, it's not actually something that really shows up when you go digging through um champion data and other statistics Mm. but it is there and Mm. she averages one block per game uh which is just only just below her season high which she averaged in 2020 which was like 1.04 or something right which doesn't count anyway right no 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 no. (laughs) we'll just round it out um and so it's that's like career best form in in that area and she leads the league by a huge margin on this the next most of any player is 0.2 per game so five times (laughs) As many blocks as anyone else. Yeah, tick. While doing that, the average is 7.4 gains per game, which again is just down a tiny bit from her highest 7.43 in 2022. Mm -hmm. And as I think you mentioned, she leads the league in gains per game. Mm -hmm. She, while doing that, averages eight deflections per game. This is the highest average for a Super Netball career, leads the league in this statistic as well. While getting all of those hands in there and deflections, only 5.6 contact penalties per game this year, lowest for a super netball career. So top for that statistic as well across her career. Yeah. Going pretty well so far, right? Yeah. So because that's the thing that you like you've pulled out the the positives there and you just touched on the contacts. So what about the other sort of negatives um, if we think about turning the ball over and, and how often she is actually out of play? Yeah. So... Um, you don't handle the the ball too much as a as a goalkeeper. I, I know you probably know that, Erin. Uh, and so not huge chances for turnovers, right? But she still is only averaging 0.8 general play turnovers per game, so less than one every game. Mm-hmm. And alongside all those other stats, this is, again, the lowest she's achieved in her Super Netball career. And we talked contact penalties of 5.6 per game. She's mm-hmm. only averaging 7 penalties per game right and again lowest of her super netball career so what about our favorite that sort of combines what we're talking about which is the pg rating so the penalties to gains we talk about this in the context of like anything around two penalties per game is good great. and elite great and 
you know, she has sat around that area for each year in Super Netball, um, you know, between 1.5 to 2. Right now she's sitting at a penalties gain ratio of 0.95. Oh, my god! So when you think about that, it's less penalties than gains. And this is, again, <laughs> the best she's achieved in her Super Netball career. Put it on uh, a T-shirt and, and, for me, Aaron. Put it on a T-shirt. Uh, I will buy yeah, it just, off you. <laughs> I'll, I'll sit i'll think how much you charge uh but like i've rarely seen that less than one over a long span of games so if she can yeah. maintain that across the year like it's incredible yeah. and you did talk about net points how she is leading the league in that statistic and it's 20 her current average is 23 net points higher than any of her other season averages oh so per game it, Wow. Yeah, per, per game, not yeah. not just total. Oh, right. wow. So, like, if you put everything together that I've said there, I reckon I said about five or six times that it was either the highest or the lowest mm-hmm. for a Super Netball career. Like, across the board, like, you asked if this is her best season so far. It's clearly her best season so far, but it's, like, everywhere on the, on the court, right? So <laughs> she's coming for that MVP, I think. Do you think she's coming for Janiel's title? Uh, yes, if anyone's going to get it, it has to be her. It's got to be between those two. I'm so fascinated to see whether she can maintain this because we have seen her probably build through seasons previously and, and maybe peak in not trough necessarily but peak in certain games. But if she can keep at this level, we're going to be talking about her again this season, no doubt. So we've got to find a, a goalie to give some love to. So let's talk about hot hand Helen Housby. I think... When she lined up for that super shot with 30 seconds to go in the Lightning Swifts game on Sunday, as a spectator, you just expected it to go in. And, of course, it did, essentially winning the game for the Swifts. And I'm wondering if my sense that Housby is probably better than anyone else in the league in sinking a super shot when it matters, which obviously is in the final, not obviously, but I think we can say is in the final quarter, was it easy enough for you to sort of punch in some variables like the time clock and the score to sort of work this out? Is she the one you want, you know, the ball in your hand for your life sort of thing? I got a little bit of deja vu doing this analysis because I feel like we've talked about clutch shooting before. Um, so if people have listened to us before, you might have heard me talk about this, but decided to look at this concept of clutch shooting here, which is, you can define it in in various ways, but think about like uh, shooting while the pressure is is mm-hmm. its highest. And mm-hmm. so, I decided to define this as any shot taken in the last five minutes of a game where the margin is less than or equal to five goals. So, yeah, perfect. Toward the end of the game, and you're still in it. So, Alan Housby has made, if we just count shots in this category, she's made the eight highest number of clutch shots since 2020 when the the super shot was introduced. And the only players who have made more in this sort of category are Janiel Fowler, MJ Kamwenda, Joe Harton, Tara Conan, uh, Romelda Aiken-George, Shimona Nelson, and Steph Wood. And so as I'm ticking off those names, you'll probably realise that most of them are more likely closer to the post-shooters, right? There's a couple of longer-age so ones in th- there. That's not the super shot list. That's the no, no, overall scoring any. under pressure. So, like, for example, Janiel Fowler has taken, like, yeah. 150 shots in in close games, but can't imagine many of them are super shots. Yep. (laughs) When we look at super shots, um, Housby has made the fourth most of these clutch super shots since 2020. 
And the only players with more than her in this category are Joe Harton, Steph Wood, and MJ Kumwenda. So these are the the four players who are making the most super shots mm-hmm. during these tight matches. Yep. But to really kind of figure out who's the best, you've got to take a look at shooting percentage, right? Because there's a volume thing here. Of course. Yeah. So, you take one and so, it goes in. Big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Kumwenda's taken a lot, but her super shot shooting percentage in these clutch situations is actually down at 30%. Yeah. Ouch. So maybe not yeah. the player we want taking them. Joe Harton comes in at 62.5%. And Helen Housby is just above her at 64%. So not bad, but not necessarily automatic like you were maybe thinking as you were watching this. Beth hmm. Wood is arguably probably the the clutch super shot shooter she's up at 74 percent in these clutch situations from super shot range so if i was picking someone i would go with her just over helen housby that's really fascinating on an international perspective as well if you think about it because we put helen up on this pedestal don't we because we've seen her do it time and time again but that tells us that steph wood is equally as capable Now we have a special offer from our major sponsor, All-in-One Property. Real versus Feel listeners know by now that All-in-One Property can help home home buyers with conveyancing, loans, property law and insurance. They can link you in with a bunch of property services so you can have one point of contact instead of many when purchasing a place. And the best bit is you can use all the services or just some. It's a one-stop shop for when you're buying a home, helping you handle the conveyancing, finance, insurance, and property law paperwork, reducing stress and saving time. And for a limited time, you can, if you reach out to All-in-One Property and mention the podcast, you'll receive a 10% off conveyancing services. Visit allinoneprop.com or call 03 to discover how you can benefit from the streamlined property transfer process. Now, it's that time for Fox Answers the Fans. This question comes to us from a long-time listener who goes by the username Neats Lettuce on social media. Now, she sent us this question just before the round five, but given what unfolded over the weekend, it's still very much relevant. As a passionate Vixen supporter, Neats noticed that through the first four rounds, which saw her side win three games and lose one by a small margin, no Vixen player had made the Super Netball team of the round, which is obviously based on the net points system. Now that remains the case as we are here today, because after losing to the Thunderbirds, no Vixen scored highly enough to make it into the round five team of the week. What Neats wants to know, Aaron, is, is there any statistical evidence that may indicate when all team members average is at a certain level, say each player accrues 50 net, 50 net points, then the outcome is likely that they win. So if what would the average need to be to achieve winning certainty, I guess we can define it as? Well, in statistical land, right, oh, nothing is a certainty, Erin. <laughs> nothing is ever a certainty. It's, you can never be 100% sure, right? Okay. Uh, so firstly, I, I took a look at the average player net points in winning versus losing teams. So... Uh, mentioned earlier, you know, we've talked a couple of times about the the team's total net points. So if you divide that by seven, mm-hmm. you effectively get the average kind of player net points across the team, irrespective of, of substitutions. So okay. yep. if, we, if we do that, in wins, teams average 55 and a half net points per player. 
And in losses, teams average 39.6 net points per player. And there's about a variation of plus or minus 10 net points around this average. Uh, and so mm-hmm. there's about a 16 point per player difference. Um, and if so if you look at that, it's pretty typical that teams will have higher net points when they win. Like we, we often see it. The Lightning yeah. Swifts game was a bit of an anomaly. Um, and, and so that 16 points is, is per player on average. Um, if we try and take a cutoff, right, in the question there, there was a, a cutoff of if each player accrues 50 net points. Yep. Um, and you've got to think about this on average because uh, we've talked about how wing defences can yep. barely touch that with their statistics. Mm-hmm. But on average, if 50 per player... If you reach that, teams have won about 81% of the games when this happens. So it is pretty good. Good guess. Yep. If I know it was a great guess. <laughs> uh, if you take it up to 55 net points per player, so not a huge increase, then teams that have achieved this have won 87% of those games. Hmm. So if you're looking at the team totals for net points that they display on the broadcast every now and then, and you're seeing a team getting to or approaching around that 350 net points or over, they should be winning around four out of every five games. So they're in the so, winning window, we could call it, Aaron. Yeah, like you'd be unlucky to get that many net points and lose. And I'd probably argue that in some of those matches where teams have scored over that amount, the other team has maybe scored over that amount as well. Yeah. That's a bit of an anomaly in the situation. Course. But it really sort of reinforces what we're talking about, the Vixens' performance when you had Liz Watson on 51 and a half and I think Kira Austin ended up in the negatives. I think she was a negative seven for, for this game. So if you want to sort of understand that, what Aaron was just talking about, have a look at the champion data for that game because it really does um, explain it really well. But as you say, the the Lightning would have been happy with a lot of what they were able to do in that game but obviously still, still lost at the end. That was a really great... Really great question, and we really like getting um, really curly questions. So please send them in. Use your favourite social media platform. Use the hashtag #RealVFeel, and we'll get Aaron to answer them. And you know, get statistically nerdy as we love him to do. Mm. And now over to your segment for the week, Aaron. My favourite time. It's Della Bluntly, and you are really wading into. <laughs> Um, ter- like you're not afraid to ta- to tackle the big questions, and, and this is a really big one across netball recently, as well as you know sport overall, right? Yeah, thanks, Aaron. So, I mean, as our listeners would well be aware, concussion and the protocols that Super Netball has in place have, you know, both of those have been a big talking point this season. I wrote a piece for Fox Netball a few weeks back, quoting one of Australia's preeminent concussion researchers, Dr. Alan Pierce, who said that Super Netball needs to walk the walk on brain injury and tighten its protocols. He described a number of recent incidents, we've touched on them in the pod, um, you know, of players as, you know, having incidents as very troubling. And he referred specifically to the management of Vixens defender Emily Mannix back in round one, saying the few minutes that it took to assess her, in his opinion, wasn't sufficient. 
The league has publicly backed the way Mannix's case was handled. They said it was in line with international rules of netball, the rules of the league and Netball Australia's policy and guidelines for the management of sport-related concussion, which is what they call it. And she was cleared to play the following week. So we need to be clear about that. But Professor Pierce said the time taken to review Mannix simply wasn't long enough. He said the league's policy should be more prescriptive about how long an assessment should take. And he suggested a 10-minute time frame so there's no suggestion that anything hasn't you know wasn't done properly but perhaps the policy needs to be looked at I mean there's been lots of reporting and discussion since my piece was published and I was really interested to note in the last couple of days that Silver Ferns coach Dame Nolin Tarua has weighed into this um, in a newshub.co.nz piece by Natasha Payne which also quotes Professor Pierce Tarua's called on netball officials on her side of the ditch anyway to get tougher on dangerous play and I quote believing the sport isn't doing enough to protect the players from potential brain injuries the master coach pointed to work being done in other sports we've seen this issue in the AFL you know and in the NRL even in the last couple of days you know AFL legend Gary Ablett you know is um is talking about you know the concussions that he had suffered um and Tarua just said that more needs to be done to protect players as well as making some changing changes to officiating for me it's brilliant to see leaders like Dame Knowles voicing their views on this issue and putting player welfare front and center we know this is an emerging space and other sports are facing the consequence of not doing enough in the past. Netball has a chance to lead in this space and the only way change will occur is when it's demanded. So that's it, Aaron. Very serious this week. Yeah, it's a hugely important topic, one that Avon at Deakin is being researched in a, in a number of different areas. You know, we're talking about um, sports performance, but also things like player health and it affecting sleep and understanding that. So yeah, really. Important. I, I think, as you said, netball has a chance to really get on the front foot with this because um, it hasn't been as big an issue as it has been in other sports, but it seems to be becoming more yep. of an issue. Yep. Uh, so getting on that front foot early is a massive good thing to do yeah it's now time to check in with how your shot in the dark went for this round Aaron uh I don't know why I sound so gleeful you predicted yeah, you predicted the total scoring tally across the weekend's game would be 510 to 515 which would have been in the top five all-time scoring rounds for Super Netball and the final tally was 496. Yeah. I thought you were going to say it, but I'll say it. Uh, so 496 comes in as the equal 14th highest scoring round um, in Super Netball history. So I was a little, uh, I was a bit ambitious and went top five. If I had said top 10, then I still you would have been wrong. You said you were going for the fences last week. Yeah. And I mean, I was expecting more out of that Giants Magpies match yeah. in particular. And at quarter time, like that first game of the week, I was up and about. <laughs> but the Giants put the super shot back in the rack for the first time in history. <laughs> and I think they listened to the pod. Ah, yeah. So uh, it it didn't work in my favour. So are you are you going to stick with this theme this round? What's your shot in the dark? Yeah, like I was tempted to go with a 
shot in the dark A and a shot in the dark B to try and get back on the scoreboard with something uh-huh. easy. And all I could think of for an easy one was that Janiel Fowler was going to score the most goals for the weekend. <laughs> I wouldn't have accepted so that, can I say? I'm not doing that. And I'm going for a bit of a consistent theme this week. Okay. Much like last week where I saw there were some big attacking matchups, this mm-hmm. week's games look to be quite even in terms of where teams are currently sitting on the ladder, right? There's a lot of uh, teams next to one another playing each other. So what I'm looking at this week is the total margin across the four games. Uh, when you take the margin between each oh, match okay. and yep, add it up, yep, yep. what do we end up with? So the lowest this has ever been was uh, a late round in 2020 where the total margins added together was only seven goals. Oh, um, that's Sports so, Journal's nightmare, that round. Yeah, well, this included one drawn match. So there's <laughs> only three so. with uh, results. Uh, and so... I have learned my lesson. I'm not going top five. Okay. We're going top top ten closest round in Super Netball history. Okay. So to get into that top ten, the margin I think based on where these matchups are sitting across the ladder, that that can happen this weekend. Sorry, could you just say that again? We just had a little Western Australian wobble on the line. So uh, to get into the top ten. To get into the top 10, the margins added up need to be less than 20. Oh, that's so, still pretty tight. Yes, yeah, less yeah. than five average per game. So with the matchups here, I think that that will happen this weekend. All right. You've got to get a win, Aaron. You've got I, reckon to. I, I reckon I'm about one from five so far. So <laughs> We might do a mid, mid-season review about where you're sitting. Yeah, maybe we'll switch this segment and you can do it. Okay. Well, that's a wrap for our latest episode. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RealVFeel and send us your Fox Answers the Fans questions using the hashtag RealVFeel. All in One Property is a dedicated property service provider. It's a one-stop shop for when you're buying a home, helping you handle the conveyancing, finance, insurance and property law paperwork, reducing stress and saving time. Use all the services or just some. Visit allinoneprop.com dot com to find out more.